0: Welcome to Movie Heaven, Movie Hell with me, Simon Aiken, and... And this is Keith Isles. And we're a couple of filmmakers who uh, like to talk about other filmmakers.
1: And uh, for those, for any of you that haven't tuned in before, essentially, we uh, pick a film director um, every two weeks uh, and... We talk about a film that we really like of theirs and a film that we don't like so much of theirs. And the only rule is that we're not allowed to pick the same films, which can sometimes be interesting. Um, And uh, as this is episode four, we are on D, um, which this
0: week is for... It's for Brian De Palma.
1: Yay, Brian De
0: Palma.
1: <laughs> oh, my God. I, I, I know we're on a bit of a time limit today, but, I mean, I, we could literally be here all week, you know what I mean?
0: <laughs> well, he's, had, he's got a massive filmography. I mean, started from the early 60s and, uh, you know, all the way up to now. He's still making films.
1: Absolutely. I mean, um, I have to say, you know, yes, he's, he's been one of those guys that's always been about, um, you know, uh, in, in the formative years and whatever, and becoming interested in film. And, you know, he came kind of came from that school and that movement uh, with the likes of, you, you know, Martin Scorsese and Paul Schrader and Francis Ford Coppola and, and guys like that. And, uh, you, you know, I, I remember for me, and it's still the case, but it, it always has been and still is, um, actually a director that I really like. Um, hence why (laughs) I could talk a lot about this one.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Though I would say um, he actually sort of predates uh, those guys by a little bit. If anything, he was um, on level with Francis Ford Coppola because he was a independent filmmaker and a lot of his earlier stuff like um, Sisters, Greetings, Hello Mum are very kind of revolutionary and against the establishment. Absolutely. And they were made before uh, the likes of uh, Lucas and Scorsese came onto the scene, but he integrated with those guys. Absolutely. Now, do you know the infamous story about the Star Wars screening?
1: Uh, oh, what, the, the, the casting where they sort of swapped between Carrie and Star Wars, yeah? Is that the um,
0: one you mean? <laughs> uh, no, actually. the. Oh, right. Um, when george lucas screened the film in its rough cut without any of the special effects so he could show his friends uh the film and of course uh, brian De palmer had loads of notes it's like what's this force of the others and uh he just you know he tore it apart and uh lucas felt he had a failure but it, it was spielberg who's going oh this is going to make millions this is so great
1: that's right. Yeah. Spielberg was the one who is very pro it, e- even when it had the sort of World War Two airplane footage and whatever in there instead of X-Wing fighters.
0: Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Because <Yeah. laughs> I-, I have to say, uh, some people just don't know how to watch a rough cut.
1: No, indeed. Indeed. I mean, I, I, no, the incident that I thought you were referring to was um, there's there's also sort of uh, one in, in sort of movie lore and whatever that when um, when Lucas was. Uh, casting for Star Wars at the very same time De Palma was casting for Carrie. So um, they they sort of had uh, actors read for for different, each film. So like sort of Sissy Spacek read for Princess Leia and Carrie Fisher read for, bizarrely, Carrie. <laughs> so, uh, and, 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 you know, he did sort of share a, um, a casting suite. At the That's, time, right. So. That's right.
0: That's right. And probably it helped lucas a lot because he wasn't exactly known for being very vocal while the palmer is
1: oh god Uh, dreadfully so to the point that um you 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 know he 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 does get a bad rap from um certain journalists and and columnists and whatever about some of his work i mean i mean you you know it is fair to say he's got a um you know you know very much a, a a style about what he does um I think the thing I've always liked about De Palma regardless of whether you know he's he's um well some people say stolen from others say homaged but you know he's used techniques from from the masters out there uh you, you know that came before him whether it be Hitchcock or Eisenstein or whoever
0: yeah.
1: um but but you know at the same time the thing I really like about his films is um you, you know he's he's a very good storyteller, but he really does use uh, the image and visual style to to act as part of the the storytelling. You know there's there's that sort of thing about some directors just literally sort of set up a camera and let the actors uh, do their bits and they do the sort of standard uh, master close coverage coverage um, sort sort of thing and just let the the talking heads and the actors do their thing. Whereas you you, you know. Um, De Palma absolutely lets the actors do their thing, but you know, like Spielberg and 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 probably you know nowadays Fincher or whatever, he he kind of very much uses the the camera and editing techniques and and all of the other tools that you know we have as filmmakers uh, to really enhance that and 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 uh, y- you know give you a very much a visual experience, which let's face it, that's what cinema is all about, isn't it? As, oh, as, as Hitchcock says. Um...
0: <laughs> he has used split screen points of view steady steady cam split diopter
1: <laughs> you know he's he's got all of his like little trademarks and and, and toys that he likes to use um and, and in a very effective way uh,
0: people said that the violence in his films are very graphic yet really it's more implied you never really see the violence you know okay sometimes you do but i mean uh, there are sh- times when the violence is implied.
1: Yeah, I mean, yeah, which yes, we will and, talk yes,
0: about in our in, in our, our picks because absolutely.
1: I mean, yes and no on that. I mean, yes, he's he's obviously he's been he's been very criticised and he's had some of his movies very heavily censored for the for the graphic violence and whatever. But at the same time, I I, I sort of agree with what you're saying in so much as he also knows when not to show something and when to let the sort of implication uh fill in the gaps as well and 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 you know he he basically uses all of the techniques and like you said he's 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 very much into his he likes his you know 235 to 1 aspect ratio he likes to do his overhead shots he likes to use steady cam he he loves the the, the depth of field and um You you know, on all of those tricks, slow motion, split screen. Yeah, you you name it, he's pretty much used it. And a a big master of voyeurism and point of view and things of
0: that nature as well. (laughs) Indeed, very much so. I was going to say, uh, now, I found that um, interview he did with Mark Cousins for Scene by Scene back in the 90s, and I I sent you a copy of it, didn't I?
1: Which I enjoyed immensely, absolutely. It was.
0: I mean, (laughs) it was certainly somebody who um he he didn't really you know he how to put it politely you know he really didn't give a fuck what the guy what mark cousins was saying because he was there to sell his film and he was being really um what's the word um blatant not f- <laughs> well not blatant but he was being a, pro- a provocateur
1: yeah no i mean he made no excuses for anything and um, no but i mean you you know, um, good on him
0: <laughs> you know it was funny because i don't think mark cousins came across um that aggressive to him at first but as they but it, it became like this sparring match which was was so interesting to watch
1: yeah no it did a bit i mean i, I mean you know to be fair Prior to that interview, I know, um, you know, De Palma had had to deal with a lot of flack from from, you know, the press and journalists and things of that nature. So he was probably a little bit on the defensive. And again, you know, it, that certainly wasn't a bad interview. Um, and but, yeah, he, you know, he made no no excuses for, for what he does. You know, I mean, when, when asked about the sort of violence to women and whatever, I, I like the way he sort of said that, you know, well, you know, a that's what sort of makes a thriller, but B, you know, the reason he chooses women is because he prefers photographing women to to men. And I thought, OK, well, fair enough. <laughs> At least he admits it.
0: <laughs> well, I mean, he's been married to Nancy Allen and uh, I didn't realise it, but he's um, I don't know if he's still married to her, but he was married to uh, Gail Ann Hurd.
1: Yeah, no, then they're, they're no longer married. But yes, he, he, he was been he has been married quite a few times, uh, you know, to either act actresses or, or film producers <laughs> or, or whatever. Um but uh, but yes, I- indeed, he, he does seem to like the ladies and, and enjoys photographing them. And, um, well, we don't mind that. <laughs> but, I mean, I think his films, they, they kind of, you know, as a whole sort of fall into almost sort of two categories of things. You've got your sort of suspense thrillers and whatever, and then you've also got your sort of gangster action movies. And, and he has tried one or two other things along oh, the way. I have but, to say, but, I enjoyed
0: you know... Phantom of the Paradise. I thought Phantom of the Paradise was was really good. It hasn't made it into our selections, but That was his th-
1: musical, wasn't it? It was his
0: musical and it's it's really well done and it's having seen it again on Blu-ray recently, it looks great. Right. I mean this is before he did Carrie, so it was still really low budget, but it still it's kind of you know it had the same vibe as Rocky Horror. Yeah. Yeah, it, you know and it was it was a lot of fun and it was very you know different because brian the palmer films can come off a bit cold
1: yeah yeah and a bit samey sometimes but uh yeah but yeah i mean i mean uh, well he, he, he actually said like he, he tried to do something different and did that comedy wise guys which i must admit i haven't seen but he actually said that he wasn't particularly happy with that because you know he tried something different but it wasn't really his bag and whatever and you know, I kind of respect the man for for being that sort of blatant about things and um you, you know, not really sort of making uh, making excuses for everything, but sort of sort of um, you, you know admitting what he likes and why he does things and and uh, doing what he wants, frankly, <laughs> which uh, fair enough,
0: <laughs> well, a friend of mine did say that um. Brian De Palma is very good at uh, keepy-uppy, but can never do a full 90 minutes using a football allegory. All right. But um, I, I disagree. I mean, um, I think majority of his films, you know, as a whole are great. Yeah, no, I
1: agree. I like them. I mean, um, yeah. y- y- you know, I've... Again, it's probably, you know, shamefully, I've probably not seen every single film that he's done, but I've certainly uh seen a majority of them because you know once I sort of figured out who he was which was as I said back in the sort of watching watching things on tv and and video and whatever then then you you know it got to a point where if anything came out you know at the cinema and I was you know know, old enough and able to see it then then I'd be there just because it had his name on it um you, you know frankly so uh so yes, yes, another very influential um, guy in, in 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 that sort of era, and and like you said, still making movies today.
0: Yeah, but I've I've never seen any of his films at the cinema. It's always been on video or DVD. I've never, uh, to this date, seen a Brian De Palma film in the cinema. Oh right, okay. But then I, well, I... they're very
1: cinematic, you know. <laughs> oh, they are. <laughs>
0: so... They are. I'm just saying that um, by the time I sort of got really into him and knew who who he was um his sort of uh, you know his time of making good films had sort of come to an end because even uh, the film that came out recently didn't really interest me that much and it did get panned
1: yeah in in, interestingly enough is this going to follow similar to what we were talking about with carpenter last week where you know he had sort of his sort of peak and and maybe it's it's gone off slightly in recent years I, i i don't know um you know that that's that's part of the debate i guess
0: <laughs> yeah he hasn't made work that's made me want to go out and watch it right you know i'm I'm sure i mean i haven't seen redacted or uh, obsession and they might be really good films but there's just something about those films that just hasn't made me want to go and watch them
1: fair enough yeah. well you know it doesn't appeal to everyone doesn't appeal to everyone's <laughs> taste and and that's the thing we we are covering uh you know, filmmakers both past and present with these podcasts. So, uh, you you know, hopefully over time we'll we'll have a fair variety of of things. But the problem with De Palma is it is quite a large body of work that he's got out there. And and I have to admit, in terms of um, my movie Heaven, I actually found it very hard to know what to choose because there are so many you know, movies that, that he's done that are extremely good.
0: But I, I liked your choice. Uh, so speaking of which, Keith, what is your pick for movie heaven?
1: Okay. I mean, you know, one of the ones I wanted to choose, uh, you chose, so we'll get round to that. Um, <laughs> then, the, 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 you know, and there were obvious things like, you know, Scarface and Carlito's Way, which, which you know, very much liked, and of course Carrie and whatever. But um, no, the one I actually decided to choose, which is probably a little bit left field, but why not, um, was Blowout, which was the uh, film he made in 1981. Um, it was following uh, Dress to Kill, which, uh, which was a film that actually didn't do very well. Um, at the box office and obviously actually, was very no, you're censored. Wrong.
0: The Dress to Kill did actually rather well. It was one of his better films. Um, it sort of, it did really well, hence why he was able to go out and make a blowout.
1: Right. I thought it was poorly received. Well, maybe, maybe it wasn't that it didn't do well at the box office, but I know it got a lot of Dress to Kill, got a lot of, um, you, you know, bad publicity. And a lot of it was to do with the, uh, you know, w- w- was the excessive, nudity and 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 obviously violence to women and, and and things of that nature but um but i know that the idea for blowouts um did actually come about while he was while he was making um uh, dress to kill and uh essentially it's, it's kind of a riff in some respects on uh antonioni's um blow up film and uh starring David Hemmings and uh, the, you know, fr- from earlier Coppola's uh, The Conversation, you know, it, it alludes to have certain aspects with those. Oh, and, yeah. and, and and obviously, you know, done, done very differently. I mean, in, in this case, uh, essentially the setup for, for Blow Up is um, he's working with John Travolta again, who, who obviously he gave a break to um, with, with, with Carrie,
0: Uh, Well, that was that was the fun thing, because uh, John Travolta and Nancy Allen were both in Carrie and they both played boyfriend and girlfriend.
1: That's right. Yes. And here they are uh, in in this film. I mean, apparently he originally wanted um, Al Pacino uh, for for this, uh, who obviously, you know, he later worked with. But uh, but he he ended up using John Travolta and at the time was actually married to Nancy Allen at, at, at the at the point that they did this. And then of course, other, other usual suspects, he had Dennis France in it, who, who was in, um, dress to kill. And of course, John Lithgow, who, um, who he'd he'd later go on to work, who had been an obsession, but he'd later go on to work with him again in raising cane. So, um, you know, he kind of surrounded himself with his, um, with his usual suspects, uh, (laughs) very much. Um, but, uh, you, you know, an interesting film, um, It revolves around essentially, you know, I think we always say in these that there are going to be spoilers and whatever within our podcast, because, you know, it's very hard to sort of talk about the film without being able to go into, you know, what happens and stuff in them. Um, But uh, essentially, John Travolta plays a um, sound effects guy. And and actually, the film starts off really interestingly with a with a low budget um, slasher film uh that they're working on it's got every sort of cliche in it
0: <laughs> well yeah but it's the but done in a brian de palma way because it's uh, all uh one pov shot
1: it is yeah it's a continual sort of pov take of of the slasher of the killer um obviously you know uh lots of scantily clad women and girls in showers and you know all of that good <laughs> stuff and um you know john travolta is essentially a sound effects technician. Um, obviously because c- this was made in 1981, we're talking very much an analog world. Um, although in terms of the processes, you, you know, j- just the same way that, that, that films are, are mixed today, it's just the medium is different. Um, and it was quite fun because, you, you know, you see him using things in this, which, uh, always bring a smile to my face from film oh, he's using a nagra he uses a nagra he's, to record he, the sound absolutely. exactly and uh, then he uses a bolex camera to to, to capture the uh, the images and then he cuts it all together on a little movieola so it's it's, it's 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 he's kind of using the tools that are there
0: <laughs> that was lovely when he took the photographs and he um well he, he put them onto film
1: that's right, he made like a little flip book with it and then he then he photographed it. So them. he
0: did it like an animation and then he plays it back and there's the whole film. I mean, the fact that this um, this photo spread literally had every photograph uh, the guy was taking. Now, it, of course, what had happened was that the guy had taken frames from uh, a film that he was shooting that was supposed to be used as... Um, Oh, uh, blackmail material.
1: Absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, at the heart of this, there's a, yeah, at the heart of this film, there is a, um, you know, a a, a a government conspiracy, political scandal thing going on, um, which is where it takes its illusion slightly from from uh, the conversation and whatever. Well, and, also um, the,
0: uh, Prevood, um, sorry, the you know, the film of JFK being shot,
1: yes absolutely yes in, indeed um
0: what's and you, that you, called you, uh, it's
1: uh, the yeah i know exactly what you mean it's completely gone out of my head though uh oh I is it I the pravuda
0: i know the pravuda yes i know I know what you mean where they're, where they're
1: basically looking at the shooting of jfk and okay, trying yeah. to sort of point it uh, piece it all together um but uh Yeah. And, and, you know, essentially, as I said, it's, it's a very nice setup. It's, um, you you know, this guy is out trying to record some new sounds, uh, T- t- well to put in yeah a...
0: we i mean it was lovely at the end of that opening shot where the girl screams and it's just it's like appalling yes it's appalling it's, it's, it's terrible <laughs> i her for a tits not it's... <laughs> for a screaming <laughs> it's are great but the screaming's awful go out and it gets a real scream you know but it was the <laughs> uh the sound effect of the wind in the trees that makes um john travolta's character go out to record new sound effects and of course that is, and it's just a, a lovely moment. And this is where it goes back to, to blowout, where you see him moving the microphone around Absolutely. and you can hear it. This is where the split diopter comes in.
1: It does with the owl.
0: <laughs> John Travolta listening to these sounds and what he's listening to Yeah. on the no, same it, screen.
1: It's very well done. I mean, it's, it's mm. a, it's a good use of obviously the visual, um, but it is also a really good use of the sound design. And what I found quite interesting is I, I watched this again recently because I'd got the um, Arrow Video uh, still book Blu-ray edition of oh, this nice. film, and I think before that I'd always had it in my you know VHS collection, which I think was probably like a pan and scan and in stereo at best, you know, yeah. and all this sort of thing. So I hadn't really seen it looking and sounding as good as it does, and and you know it makes a really good. You, you, you know obviously he uses his frame and and his split diopter and and you know all of that sort of thing and this is the first film he actually used steadicam in which obviously mm. went on to be a trademark of his moving forward um well but yeah steadicam
0: very... had just sort of come into use just around about that time you remember Absolutely. the first film halloween. uh well no halloween i don't think um halloween used Glidecam. cam steadicam was used really properly first time the shining
1: Yes, it was. Yeah. Um, which was, in fact, there's a great, Oh God, I'm going off topic here, but that's on the right. shining, uh, DVD, there's a really great, um, commentary by the cinematographer talking about the use of the, um, the, the, the Steadicam on that. So, uh, if anybody's particularly interested in that, that's worth a watch, but, um, uh, but yeah, I mean, um, but, but, but my point is it was also a really good use of, um, you know, sound design and, um, you, you know, very, very good how that how the setup. Um, yeah, for him coming across this, this cr- uh, crime and this conspiracy happens. And as I said, he, he hears it. Um, uh, he records it. And he's now got this evidence that, um, that the tire was actually shot out and wasn't just blowing out um, as and, of course, you know, the the, the government want to or the, the politicians want to cover it all up. And, um, you, you know, the, the, the girl that he rescues from the car that the politicians in that goes off the road, um, is, is played by Nancy Allen. And, and basically he, he, he and she, uh, become in in danger really because of what they, what they know or what people think they might know. And, uh, it plays, you know, it plays very good on the whole paranoia thing. Yeah. Um, you know, some, some really good setups. I have to say, you know, Uh, not not the greatest of of performance um, by uh, by Nancy Allen in this in in my well I have to
0: say uh, I mean I've uh, I watched it first time I watched it was only recently and uh, the first time I watched it her performance really annoyed the hell out of me
1: (laughs) there you go then (laughs) let's see what I mean
0: (laughs) but I went back to watch it for this and I didn't mind it so much. I think going in, if you know what she's her character's going to be, it it's less grating. I mean, obviously if you've got to remember, she's very naive. She's a very naive character. And um, I was sort of reading up about it, and she said that she was trying to play her a bit like a rag doll. Yes, very and much. She, she, and in a way, she is. She's being used by all these men. Now, there's a wonderful moment in the film where... I think any other filmmaker would have opened the film with this, but um, Brian De Palma leaves it for a, just before the halfway mark, and that is when uh, John Travolta's character is talking about his past and about um, when he was working for the police, and you see them um, with an, they're following an informant who's wired up trying to get this uh, corrupt police chief
1: yeah absolutely as part of 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 the story that's very good yeah
0: and it all goes wrong because this guy is really sweating he's profusely sweating and he um shorts out the bat the battery he's wearing and it's burning him and and of course John Travolta's going you know I've got to get in there I've got to help him out and the other cops go no you're going to blow it you're going to blow it and it's it's too late he runs in and of course he sees uh the informant been he's been hung in the toilet with the wire
1: yeah no absolutely and, and you're absolutely right from a from a structural point of view um often you know a character's ghost and the character's backstory they would probably start the film with and then come forward to the present but like you said it's very interesting that uh, he chooses to give us that bit of information quite quite into the film quite late on yeah. before we actually find that out about this character.
0: And of course what happens is that, uh, you know, it happens again with Nancy Allen's character. He, he puts her in a position where they're trying to capture the killer played by John Lithgow. And, you know, the same thing happens. He's the, she's killed as she's strangled. Yeah. This time with a, a wire that he has coming out of his watch.
1: Uh, yeah very very Allah, alla from russia with love kind of, yeah. <laughs> kind of thing but yes. um, but yeah i mean i mean you, you know the, the the film that's the, that's the other thing that's quite brave i think in some respects with it is um you know this one definitely don't have no hollywood ending it's it's no. kind of uh, quite a sad quite a downer ending actually with the fact that you know you know these 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 two people that you know um you know, are growing close sort of throughout the movie and whatever. And at the end, he tries to save her. I mean, it does get a bit ridiculous when he's um, when he's driving through um, Philadelphia and, and sort of rushing through the cr- crowds and everything to try and, you know, you know find her. And then he, he he crashes and he's unconscious and he wakes up in the back of the uh, ambulance. And obviously, um, uh, by this point, Lithgow's got her and is, um, you, you know, uh, essentially killing her and there's nothing he can do about it. Um Well, no, then, I mean
0: there's there's there, there is that he um th- about that point it's because re- he's pretending to be uh, a reporter. A
1: reporter, absolutely. He's he's pretending to be the one that, that he he was going to be interviewing, you know, again that the John Travolta character was going to was speaking to and uh yeah, you know, because of the whole phone call and And whatever, um, it it then puts Nancy Allen in jeopardy. So
0: when he wakes up in the ambulance, um, you know, it's at the point when Nancy Allen finds out that he is not the reporter, that he is the killer because he throws the tape and the film away. Yeah. And um, the evidence is gone. But I mean, it's a hell of a chase because he's. Oh, it's great. John Travolta has got to figure out where they are by the sounds and what Nancy Allen's saying. Yeah. And of course, he gets there, he just gets there too late.
1: Yeah, well, absolutely. I mean, it starts on the uh, you know the, the the underground train platform, and you know he's not able to get on the train in time. And then you, you know, as I said, he ends up he ends up you know driving and going across Philadelphia, and gets in an accident. And then when he wakes up from the accident, you know he's trying to get to a and um, and you know the sort of the sort of stinger at the end of the film, which uh, it's kind of it's kind of. Awful but also kind of amusing is of course the um you know all of the evidence and whatever gets gets lost but what it what he has recorded is is you know Nancy Allen's character screaming as she, <laughs> as she dies and and that is then used in the mix of the film <laughs> with the model that can't scream <laughs> and it's kind of like uh- and it's
0: it's I'm not sure I thought that was in I thought that wasn't I thought that was what he was hearing I don't think I mean I don't think he was actually using the Nancy Allen's actual scream for the film I think that's what he heard
1: no but that's what the wink at the audience is you you know you know what I mean it's kind of it's kind of almost perverse
0: (laughs) quite possibly because he's got he does have the tape doesn't he and he's playing it so maybe I mean it's yeah that is interesting it's 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 interesting and and and,
1: and it's very you know i mean it's very dark um Mm. but it it was also also quite funny because of course the 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 uh the the film producer is is (laughs) i mean it's it's like a big cliche but they've got all of these very amusing posters up on the wall you know sort of scantily clad women and i remember there's one which shows like the the bottom half of a bikini and it's called something like triangle of lure or something like that <laughs> and i had to sort of chuckle to myself at all the sort of mise-en-scene that they'd thrown in there you know in in the background <laughs> and stuff like that to have i have to say i missed series. i missed
0: all that stuff uh on, <laughs> both times i'll see it so after i'll have to go back and and watch it again
1: yeah it's definitely one for repeat viewing the the other thing that's interesting about this film is it is actually one of Quentin Tarantino's favourite films. It's his favourite Brian De Palma film, that's for sure. And um one of the reasons that he that he cast John Travolta in Pulp Fiction was because he liked his performance in in Blowout so much. Okay. And when you think about it, you know, that was the sort of thing that that sort of relaunched John Travolta's career after him being in sort of all of those um uh, you, you know, uh, look who's talking, films and stuff like that. So, so uh, you, you know, it is kind of kind of interesting story, uh, backstory to all this. So that's kind of, you know, one of the reasons I picked it. Um, but but yeah, I do think it's it's a solid story. Um, it's very well done. It uses all of his, you know, all of his traits that he's become famous for, and it is, you know, very good at sort of keeping you on the edge of your seat um you, you know uh, filling you with some paranoia um you know the the voyeuristic aspects you know all all of that sort of thing is is in this so I, I look at it as a sort of um one of those De Palma films that is completely De Palma-esque um in his in his sort of thriller um staple of films so uh so yes so I'm, I'm sure there's loads of other things i wanted to say about it that i've forgotten but there you go <laughs>
0: <laughs> well there's, there's one last thing i want to say about it, and it's um the the, the use of um build-up because um this is one of the things that brian the palmer is really good at and that's the build-up and so you know the there's two scenes where john Lithgow is following um At first you think is nancy allen's character but just turns out to be a a hooker that looks the same Yeah,
1: misdirection he's very good at that as well yeah absolutely
0: but i mean the thing is the when how quickly now the in kills in films today happen they they do happen very quickly there's no build-up there's no tension um like the um the second hooker he kills because he's trying to uh, make out that there's a serial killer going around killing um, uh, red-headed women, uh, especially hookers. And uh, they're calling him the Liberty Bell killer. Yes. Because the uh, Liberty Bell is going to be rung for the first time in the hundred years. Uh, hence why all the people out on the streets uh, at the end. Yes. And uh, so the second one where he, he follows the hooker. So you see the, the hooker being spoken to. a sailor in a train station and then you sort of you follow what happens there where you know the guy explodes his wad too quickly (laughs) yeah in the in
1: the telephone booth in the telephone booth um
0: with a wonderful pickup moment from john lifkoe where he's just in the booth a couple of booths down with you know with money and he's just you know puts it on there and the girl's like oh you know just let me go and brush my teeth Mm -hmm. Yeah. and then of course follows her into the toilet where he's then going to kill her and one of the cubicles and they the dance between him waiting for the opportune moment to do it and once he does strike all you see is from outside the cubicle and her feet, her feet. banging against but yeah. you don't see anything else no
1: no absolutely again and i he, think we with... not to show which is very good you know that's that's part of a director's job isn't it it's it's what you show versus what you don't show and uh... But yeah, this is the you know. thing.
0: I think a lot of directors today would have shown it. Would have, yeah. you know, they would have wanted to see the go. While well, that was more effective than actually, you know, really showing it, showing the wire cutting into a neck. And
1: yeah, no, I, I agree. I think that works beautifully. I mean, that whole bit with the, you know, with the telephone booths. It's it's got it's got a bit of an air of um, uh, um, North by Northwest about it. The way it's yes. sort of set up, definitely. Yeah. Um, but 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 at the at the same time it, it really it really works and I mean you know if if if, if I, I think it's fair to say with with De Palma you know like if if um, Hitchcock you know is, is the king of suspense then then certainly De Palma is the
0: prince of it you know <laughs> um you... some would say prince of thieves <laughs> yeah there you go uh,
1: well you know it depends how you look at it doesn't it whether it's where it's last knee or homage but <laughs> what well, i was going to
0: say though the flashback scene does feel very much uh, like the scene at the beginning of vertigo where the uh where jimmy stewart you know uh, falls off the side of the building and he's clinging on and he has his first oh yeah vertigo, yeah no yeah. absolutely yeah yeah, yeah which you know comes back to haunt him at the end of the film which happens in blowout
1: yeah no absolutely there's there's a lot of things like that and i mean i'm sure you know there's there's some things similar in 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 some of the other films that we're going to talk about but um but yeah um you you know i I really like this film Uh, i hadn't watched it in a while um i did get to watch it again and you know i i i think it really holds up and and really works and um yeah, so
0: so that that's blowout, folks. <laughs> right now, my choice for movie heaven is The Untouchables. Yay, love it! <laughs> like I said, I'm very
1: a bit like you were when I chose Batman for that. Yes. I was quite jealous because, you know, I think Untouchables is a marvelous film, which I'll, uh, I'm sure I'll, uh, you know go on about shortly but uh not not until you've had your say so go go for it
0: (laughs) (laughs) well i watched this when it first came out on video and um i absolutely loved it i thought it was was brilliant and of course who steals the show but sean connery you know um i mean especially the blood i've seen where it's like uh he pulls (laughs) a knife and you pull a gun you send one of his to the hospital. He sends one of yours to the hospital. You send one of his to the morgue. That's the go way. Yeah, she carry a badge.
1: Carry a gun. <laughs> 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 Gotta love Connery, you know.
0: And he is trying. He is trying to do an Irish accent. There was there was a hint of it. It wasn't yeah, his. Um, it wasn't his Russian submarine commander. Sure, I'm a submarine Russian commander. <laughs>
1: I think, I think the fair thing to say with Connery is it doesn't matter what, what voice he does. It's Connery. And that's it. That that's all you need to say, isn't it? <laughs> it's amazing. <laughs> but I mean, you know, obviously, he won the Academy Academy Award for this film. And rightly right. Yeah. Yeah. So carry a badge, carry your gun you pull an, you pull an, he pulls a knife you pull a gun he sends one of yours to the hospital you send one of his to the morgue. That's the Chicago way. <laughs> love it.
0: Oh, I, I also love the uh, Irish police chief. Where are you going Jimmy? I'm going to work. <laughs>
1: yeah now it's a great film. It's amazing it I, I, I watched it again um in preparation for this and enjoyed every
0: minute of it so yes it is it's it's very <laughs> enjoyable so um it's um they've they've touched upon the tv series and the sort of true life events and type but they but not not so much it's 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 still a piece of fiction I you wouldn't say these were the actual events that happened no not uh, at all i
1: mean i mean you, you know the, let's not forget this the screenplay for this is by david Mamet, and yes. Uh, obviously yes they even though paramount had the rights to the the uh, robert stack tv series from the, the 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 50s and 60s or whatever um you know this this was a very different uh take on those those uh, you know those events and those and those real life characters but obviously massively dramatized <laughs> so you know um absolutely
0: uh that i the, the one thing i loved about the opening shot was you could see it was an overhead shot and you have some um text come up sort of give you the the backstory of what's happening and you can see that the actors are actually standing there you know holding their position waiting until the camera moves down and they start talking so you can kind of see them so it's not like a a still or a frame hold it's actually them standing there waiting for this so you can kind of see a little bit twitching a little bit moving but it just seems like he holds that for so long i think he's a bit you know he went let's see how they can work yeah
1: i know absolutely. and apparently um although he he chose to abandon it in the end but they were going to bookend the film by having the same shot but with capone in in prison yeah that's Um, right but they, you know, they decided not to go that route in the end. But uh, yeah, no, but a great opening nonetheless.
0: <laughs> well, I mean, just speaking of that opening shot, I mean, it is a one-er shot. I mean, there's a lot of one-er shots in there. But what um, De Palmer has done quite wisely is he's shot other materials like close-ups and stuff to sort of accentuate certain moments And it. So it's just not, so it cuts in from the one-er into like a close-up. So like when um, Robert De Niro gets cut, by the uh, barber, and he holds it out, threatening to the guy, and then you know, and then sort of, you know, he's not going to do anything now. Um, you know, just wonderful that hand move, just yeah. that, just with his hand in a in a close up. Uh, you know, really well done. But he's he's decided that instead of just having these one shots that he intercuts into them, so to you know, point out certain information. That uh, the audience needs to know.
1: Absolutely. Well, it's right back to that. You know, he, this is a man that absolutely uses the camera and the edit to tell the story, which is, you know, what every good director should do. So, and you know, he's got fabulous actors in there as well. So, can't go wrong. <laughs>
0: <laughs> but I have to say, the uh, I it shouldn't make me laugh, but it does. Is the uh, the scene at the beginning where you see um, is that the the I don't know, at the shop or the store. And the little girls there getting... Oh, uh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Uh, mister, mister! Ev- mister, you've got your bag! Mister, mister! Boom! Boom, yeah. I mean, it's oh, probably it slightly me
1: over-egged. Yeah, no, I mean... Yes. It's, yeah. it's, it's, it's slightly pulling at the heartstrings for uh, for heartstrings' sake, you know? <laughs> it's
0: like... I have to say, the, the press back then was great. Yeah, I mean, absolutely amazing. And um, because they're able to get like the front pages out so quickly. I mean, it's like um, the same night as Elliot Ness's um, uh, bust goes bust. You know, there's there he is front page, you know, um, Elliot Ness, poor butterfly. You know, it's the same night. It's like, Jesus, they're fast. They were they were on it back in the 30s well they they couldn't go out
1: drinking could they so uh, (laughs) (laughs) you know the whole prohibition thing that they could they didn't have anything else to do right so let's fuck it let's go to work and 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 get this to print right away
0: (laughs) but i i mean for me the uh film really does pick up when sean connery comes in that first encounter between him and uh kevin costner on the bridge it's it's just really well done because kevin costner is having this moment so it's just so up to this point we're shown that he's a family man They he has a wife who's and they have a daughter and she's and the wife's pregnant with the next one coming along and she's just like you know preparing him lunch
1: patricia clarkson's first role i believe
0: yeah i yeah it's funny because she was in her 30s back then but she still looked she still looks like she does now she she always looked a bit older to me it was always um great she looks great but it's always she always looked um older than her years yeah okay but I'm sure she'd appreciate that now more than back then. <laughs> what you said. Well, I, why you I remember seeing now? her. I remember seeing her the first time in uh, Deadpool with Clint Eastwood. Right. Yeah. So she looked like she was not quite on the same age as him. Ooh. That's why I always thought she was older than she actually is. Right. Okay. Well, moving on about the untouchables. <laughs> <laughs> Must we? <laughs> Go on then. Um. But, yeah, so, you know, uh, she's written him a note, you know, that she's proud of him, uh, anything that any girlfriend or wife would do. And, uh, of course, he throws it into the river because he doesn't feel proud. He feels he feels like he's, uh, you know, a fuck-up, that he's, you know, his first time is going to make a, an impact. And, of course, the gangsters have probably bought out his informant and – the police had told him that they were coming and you know absolutely he's he's you know fucked up you know embarrassed in front of everybody and so you know he's just having a really bad day and he throws this note into the to the river and of course that's when sean connery turns up and he's like uh, you know you shouldn't be littering I'm not going to do Sean Connery voice <laughs> <laughs> because I'm, I've been I've already been shamed with my Sean Connery. It's not as great as yours. I bow to your Sean oh, Connery. Well, yeah, right,
1: whatever. <laughs> <laughs> Who's
0: going to save you, Junior? Oh, wrong film. <laughs> <laughs> You've got a beef.
1: <laughs> oh no, he's amazing. I mean, you, you know, obviously, um, you, you know, the actors in this do absolutely fabulous performances, but. What one of the things again, you know, back to the script and back to David Mamet is, is, you know, I feel like each of these characters, you know, each of their, they, they, they've kind of got their own voice, you know, because the, the, the four main untouchables are very different, you know, and that's, I think, kind of what makes the film so interesting, you know, you've got the like the sort of father figure Connery, you know, the experienced weathered policeman sort of thing, and then you've got the Straight Arrow, Costner, you know, (laughs) who's Elliot Ness, who's you know, uh, very much that trying to do the right thing all the time, and then you you know, of course, you've got Andy Garcia in this, who's who's the uh, the marksman.
0: (laughs) Indeed, he he's he's the fresh blood. He is taken straight out of the police academy. Absolutely, and uh, of course, he's he's the best shot of them all. Yeah, and then of course you've got uh, Charles Martin Smith. Rounded him up. And, of course, he is, uh, I mean, he's, his character is really good because he's just this wonderful art because, really, he's just an accountant. Yeah,
1: an accountant with a gun, yes.
0: <laughs> <laughs> well, he uh, learns to appreciate life a bit more, having I mean, to be out in the field and sort of taking on the gangsters, you know, instead of being, you know, behind the desk doing paperwork. But, of course, he is the one who comes up with the idea of getting Capone for uh tax avoidance yeah
1: yeah absolutely. And of course
0: it's it is the one thing in there where you're going yeah you know if you know anything about the the story the case that that's what they're going to get capone on and he's always there going well he's not paid any tax he's you know he's had all this money coming in but he's never paid any tax and you're going oh okay okay is that is that thing about biopics where they have that one little moment one thing that you know um is what they're famous for yeah, um, you know, like in the Oliver Stone's The Doors, where they start playing the piano riff for um uh, one of the famous Doors tracks, like My Fire. That's the song. Yeah. Thank you very yeah. much. You know, no, absolutely. Uh, so yeah, so it, it it sort of has that little trope there where um they have a, a character or an event where you sort of you know where that's leading to, but but I the the shootouts in it are amazing, of course. Um, I have to say, when when each one of the the, un- the untouchables that get killed, you really feel it.
1: Yeah, t- totally. You,
0: you're, you're
1: absolutely invested in those characters.
0: Yeah, so when they get killed, you absolutely fucking feel it. I mean, when Charles Martin Smith gets shot in the lift, oh, my God, mm-hmm. that really shook me. Yeah. Because you didn't think, you know, that you did really think they were untouchable. You didn't think somebody was going to, you know, as they put in blood, touchable. Yeah. You thought these guys were going to be all right.
1: Good old Billy Drago.
0: <laughs> yeah, I mean, the the guy steals the show, but I mean, you know, especially dressed all in white. Yeah. I mean, did you know who did um, all the costumes for this film?
1: Yeah, it was uh, Giorgio Armani, wasn't it? And um, they, they looked fantastic.
0: They broke out the Armani for this film. Well, I
1: mean, everybody looked fantastic you know i mean you know this this film uh was was the film where i sort of first noticed and and obviously i'm a massive fan of is is kevin costner um i mean i know he'd done a few sort of lawrence kasdan films before this but um but you know this was the film that really sort of put him in the in the spotlight as it were and uh you know of course he went on himself to to then a couple of years later direct um Dancers of Wolves, which sort of became and still is one of my favourite films of all time. So, uh, you you know, yeah, Costner was quite a um, striking figure in his in his Armani three piece, wasn't he? (laughs) (laughs) So. We'd all like an Armani three-piece in our wardrobe. I know I would, but there you go. (laughs) I've got an Armani suit. Oh, have you? Oh, very nice,
0: I do, yes. (laughs) I I was able to find one in a charity shop that uh, fitted me. Oh, good. Very nice. So I get to break out the Armani once in a while.
1: Yeah. And, of course, we haven't talked about
0: Robert De Niro. No, we haven't. Of course i just want to talk about sean connery's oh, sorry. Yeah, character's on. death and we'll we'll get on to uh al capone yeah robert de niro because again great character uh but um the 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 build-up again build-up of uh sean connery's character's takedown is 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 great because um it it's all sort of again a steady can point of view shot where you you you're you are seeing what the uh one of the gangsters who's breaking into the house sees and you you know he's following him around and there's a lovely moment where you can see sean connery knows something's up yeah and of course he's over by his um i think it's is it his uh record player or like music box or something
1: yeah yeah i mean he's somewhere in his in his living but room you know he's it? got a shotgun
0: yeah. there because the first time elliot ness uh kevin Costner's character turned up there you know he, that's where he went to get his shotgun because he doesn't like visitors. He don't like people coming around his place because if anybody turns up at his place, it's obviously to do him no good. Yeah. But, um, but yes, it's this wonderful thing where you think Sean Connery's character has got the, uh, the upper hand because, you know, uh, that was the famous line. Oh, was it Uh, trust a WAP (laughs) to bring a knife to a (laughs) gunfight?
1: Yeah, absolutely. And, um, uh, no, I mean, it, it, again, it's it's a wonderful, um, like you said, set up with the with the point of view camera. And then, of course, you know, you think that, um, uh, you, you know, you think that Malone, Sean Connery's character's got the upper hand. And again, it's 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 a little bit of a misdirect for us.
0: It's a switcheroo, is, isn't yeah. it? Because uh, Billy Drago waiting there with a Tommy gun and he just I mean, he shoots the shit out of him.
1: Oh, my God. I mean, he he literally empties the entire mag into him,
0: doesn't he? And he's still moving.
1: Yeah, Oh, absolutely. I mean, uh, you know, a man like Jim Malone, it takes a lot to get, you know, to take that man out.
0: (laughs) It certainly uh, does. It certainly does. I mean, I do. I do love the bit when Kevin Costner turns up and he's trying to sort of point out to him. Uh, where the bookkeeper's going to be at the train station absolutely and of course Kevin Costner gets it wrong hands him his um lockbox key with uh, st jude on it that's right yeah and, and he's like he's like bloody idiot yeah. not that not that. <laughs>
1: <laughs> not that, you bloody idiot
0: <laughs> yeah no i
1: mean it, it, yeah it's 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 uh it, you know it it really is quite a moving scene actually um yeah and uh y- y- you know I'm I'm glad that Connery won the Academy Award for this because, you you know, that it was a great performance at that point in his career.
0: And um, but of course, another great performance was Robert De Niro, because he he did come across as like a junkyard dog, I felt. I mean, the great scene where he's got the baseball bat and talking oh, about God. baseball, yeah. you know, uh, teamwork, teamwork. That's a know. frightening scene. And, and again, another one
1: where, I mean, okay, I know he cuts to a famous overhead afterwards, but another bit to sort of hammer the point home that you, you made um, is that you don't actually see, you know, it's off frame. I mean, it's brutal, uh, but, you know, you see him swinging the bat down onto the table, you know, but the head is out of shot until you cut to the overhead and see all the blood and all this. You see the blood. pool of blood, yes. But, I mean, wonderfully, beautifully done. Um,
0: oh, yeah, because, I mean, um, it's shocking because you, there is tension in the air, but you don't know what's going to happen. No, I mean, you know that, you know, okay, he's got baseball bat in his hand, but you don't know he's going to use it. No. I mean up to this point you hadn't seen him get his hands dirty at all no absolutely it's it's been all the other gangsters that work for him that have been getting their hands dirty. so at this point you don't know what's going to happen you could have been that like because billy drago's character is there that's the nice thing you see all these gangsters who appear in um you know in different shootouts and everything at these tables and all the scenes in the hotel they are they're always there they it's never suddenly oh look here's a gangster that's come from nowhere mm. you know they've been there all the time they've been there in the background you know billy drago could quite have easily shot the guy yeah under orders but you know uh al capone gets his hands dirty and- well i mean
1: it, the whole thing is kind of interesting with with robert de niro and and, and this particular role because um Obviously, you, you know, De Palma had worked with De Niro way back at the beginning of his career. Oh, um, that's
0: right. Uh, he introduced De Niro to Martin Scorsese. Scorsese.
1: Absolutely. Because of the type of actor De Niro is and because of his whole, you know, me- method and, and, and his preparation for roles and his, his you know, changing his physicality and things of that nature. Um, you, you know, Robert De Niro wasn't, sure that he could be ready for this uh in time um you know because he wanted to put weight on for real um and things of that nature so so there was some and of course he caught he he was going to cost quite a lot as well so that there there was some uh there's a story that there was some you you know there was a good chance that he wasn't going to be in it so um De Palmer actually oh, had, I
0: know this story. Yep. Yeah, he
1: actually had Bob Hoskins uh, as a backup, just in case. And apparently, uh, you know, of course, De Niro ended up agreeing to do it. But Bob Hoskins got a paycheck anyway for sort of... The no work, no play thing or pay, no play or whatever.
0: <laughs> pay or play. Yeah.
1: Pay or play. So right, yeah. he sort of said, well, you cannot use me in a movie anytime. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, but, you know. Yeah.
0: Well, I mean, the the thing as well as I, I read was that De Niro, you know how he is method and stuff. So he actually had Al Capone's um, underwear.
1: Yes. Yeah. Even though you don't see it, he had to have it. Yeah. Absolutely. And also
0: props. Uh, in certain scenes, especially the uh, the barber scene at the beginning, there are actual uh, props that belong to Al Capone. There, uh, you just you know little things to get him in touch with the character.
1: Well, this is why he's so wonderful.
0: Yeah. Well, yes and no. I mean, really, do you need all that to to be in character? I you know it, it's an expense that they could have probably done without.
1: Yeah. I mean, he he is extreme. You know, it's like uh, I had to do a presentation. Um, not not long ago, uh, on this Scorsese course, and I had to talk about Cape um, Fear in it, and uh, people were amazed when you know they found out that he actually you know he paid something like three thousand dollars to have his teeth ground off for the role of uh, in it, and then yeah. paid like a further twenty thousand pounds or something, twenty thousand dollars to have his teeth re re. Recapped afterwards, and you know these sort of extremes. It's like, well, you know, um hey, you know, the the, the performances are there, so I'm not going to knock it at all. <laughs>
0: well, I, yeah, uh, true. It works. It works for him. It's it's his method, but I would not recommend that to anybody. <laughs> Any struggling actors <laughs> out there? Yeah, <laughs> that's it. I mean, it's it's true. I mean, if if you're going to be on drugs, do you really need to go out and take drugs? No.
1: Yeah, no, absolutely, absolutely. It's not uh, at all.
0: But... It's called acting.
1: Yeah, we'll oh, we we'll, we'll, we'll get into all sorts of war stories if we go down that path, won't we, <laughs> 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 my dear boy?
0: <laughs> oh, indeed. <laughs> but um, we we can't talk. We can't leave the Untouchables oh, without God. talking about two things. Go on, then. First one is Ennio Morricone. Oh,
1: wonderful score! Wonderful, amazing. Uplifting.
0: I had the pleasure of seeing Ennio Morricone play at the Royal abbott Hall, and of course oh, that they must played have been the... amazing. It
1: was. It was, yeah. it was great. Oh, I well, mean, I'm jealous of that very much. So well, <laughs>
0: unfortunately, the the seat I was sitting uh, I was sitting next to a gentleman who had a, a breathing problem. So oh dear, yeah, it it kind of sounded. A little bit for me but um still it was a it was a great time if it had
1: been john williams it would have been fine you could have just pretended it was darth Vader,
0: but in this case <laughs> it just didn't work out, right <laughs> <laughs> but oh, um yeah. yeah i mean it was it, but it was it was wonderful to hear uh the music from the untouchables played in it because it, it's great it just lifts the film yeah. I mean, certain moments in the film where the music just lifts it up and just puts it up on a different level than, say, if it had been another composer. I have yeah. to say, it's one of the major things that makes this film so good yeah. is the score. It's no, a, I agree. It's a, it's a rousing score.
1: Yeah. No, absolutely. I, 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 you know, I couldn't agree more with you. I mean, I, I love Morricone's work anyway. Um, but in this particular case, you know, um, it, it is it's, it's a wonderfully moving and uplifting and, and very medallic score and um yeah i know you know i've got nothing but agreement with you on that one it's it's fantastic and it, and it does make you know it is that extra level on on what's already a great movie you know a great script great actors great performances well directed and and you you, you know that's the 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 thing that finishes it off so beautifully is, is, is the, um, the, the music. Absolutely. It is enhancing the Giorgio Armani. <laughs>
0: <laughs> well, um, do you remember on BBC two, they used to have like a, a program. It used to be, I think it was, it was like filler. It was like for five or 10 minutes, depending on how much they had left. And they would always show it after the like sci-fi show at six o'clock on BBC two all right they They'd always start off with it would be a blue sky and you would hear um it was the track from the mission and this eagle would fly in oh right okay and then it would it, it would be like uh, then it would be shots of like mountains uh you know s- s- snow caps and all this stuff and it'll be to the and i remember that was my uh, first time i was aware that i was listening to something by inio morricone and it's so rousing and it's, it soars and you know a lot of his music does that uh, especially in the 80s where it's very much the music soars you know yeah. above you and you you feel like you're flying sometimes and that track from the mission does that and and it was also just from that sh- um, program that they would show i mean you know, that's that's my memory of Ineo Morricone. And I mean, oh,
1: absolutely. The uh, the final shot, um, you know, that shows Chicago as Elliot Ness is walking down, you know, towards the station and whatever. And that music on that bit is absolutely incredible. You know, <laughs> it's just like, wow, this is amazing music.
0: So, yeah. <laughs> cool. But um, the other bit we need to talk about, of course, is the uh, Union Station shootout. Yes. Yeah, which is a homage to um, Battleship and Tanking.
1: Yeah, by Eisenstein. I mean, a- absolutely. Um, y- you know, it's...
0: What I like
1: is, you know, people say, you know, if you're going to steal anything, you know, steal from the best, yeah. But what what I like is he, he put an original spin on it because he took the he took pram sequence and the stair- stairs and everything in the station. But, you know, putting that in with a a slow-mo gunfight uh was was a was amazing that scene's incredible you know and the, and it's so beautifully done
0: you know also the fact that um so you know Elliot ness is waiting for the bookkeeper to turn up and it's it's close to the the train boarding and of course all these other characters come in so there's sailors which is of course is a nod to baton yeah yeah um and then you've also got um, other people who are like red herrings, they look like they could be gangsters, but they're there to meet other people. There's a guy who helps, uh, like a whole lot, of, uh, like a family or a whole group of people with their luggage, and then of course, there's the guy waiting for his girlfriend. And of course, all the time this is happening, this poor mother is trying to take her pram up the stairs. Now, why? Kevin Coston, why Elliot Ness would go down there and do that because it's been shown throughout the whole film. He's a family guy. He cares about family. He cares about children. And so when he sees a mother in distress, he's going to go and help her. And of course, when he makes that decision, it's like, you know, the train is just about to go. It's 12 o'clock. You know, he thinks they're not going to turn up. So it's all right to go down there and, and help. And of course, as soon as he does that, that's when the guys turn up and of course the guy who recognizes him is the guy he hits in the staircase after uh, charles martin smith's death you know when he goes to face um, al capone because in real life those two characters never met
1: no exactly that was part of the dramatization yeah they weren't they weren't in court together or anything but um, but you know it works wonderfully in the film but no i mean i mean that scene again the the, the build-up the tension the 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 you know the way that's set up, the whole thing with the woman you know struggling up the stairs, the the setup is wonderful. And then the whole payoff, yeah, you know, with the gunfight and Andy Garcia's character sweeping in,
0: you know <laughs> to yeah. to to
1: help with the pram at the last minute. and you, you, you know, it, it's all beautifully done, and it um, does.
0: And and also the fact that on the look on the baby's face, he looks like he wants to go and do it again. Yeah, no, absolutely. <laughs> yeah. He
1: kind of enjoyed that ride. Yeah, no, I know,
0: but the <laughs> you, did you notice the pram got hit about twice in that sequence? Right.
1: Yeah. Yeah.
0: So I mean, very lucky baby. But
1: um, you know, apparently, again, another story. I don't know how true this is, but um, and again, it just sort of shows um you know, the fact that Brian De Palma makes something of what he's got is um, initially they wanted to have a much more elaborate sort of um, train chase and, and gunfight, oh, yes. which they later used in Carlito's way, yeah. But um, obviously, the, you know, they were well over budget by this point and they'd done the whole thing in Montana with the Canadian border and the horses and the John Ford, you know, imagery and all this sort of thing. And and because of all the production design and the, and the costumes and the cars and all the and De Niro and all this sort of thing. They they kind of didn't have the budget to do what he wanted to do. So apparently, um, you know, that's why he chose to sort of set that scene up and and have the gunfight and obviously homage the 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 whole Potemkin thing uh, as part of it. And I think my God, that works so well. So <laughs> you know, it's it's amazing. <laughs>
0: Well, I mean, you know yourself, Keith. That a lot of times you plan to do something, and because it never quite works out that way, but sometimes it works out to be much better.
1: Absolutely, which is the beauty of it, isn't it? Yeah,
0: you come up with a solution that is far better than what you thought. You know what you originally dreamed up. Yeah,
1: well, the limitations can push the, push the creativity most definitely, and um, and it certainly did here with with well, what is now a become a sort of classic cinema scene, hasn't it? Because um, it, has, it works yeah. so nicely and is studied by film students you know to this day so
0: <laughs> yeah the, the thing i like as well is that um billy drago's character is he is given a right proper send-off isn't he
1: yeah well i mean it, it, it's funny that that uh, that end scene i mean you mentioned earlier about how you felt there was some you know in, in um in blowout you mentioned there was some sort of allusions to the beginning of vertigo and i kind of felt that a little bit in the rooftop stuff with with costner and drago um towards the end of 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 the untouchables you know i I sort of felt that there were a few elements and references there that were that were similar and had that sort of similar feel about it you know um which of course yeah
0: but i mean I, i i i mean the fact that uh you know he, he's goading him you know he's like uh your friend screamed like a pig oh yeah yeah that. <laughs> a big fat irish pig and of course he as he's, he looks like he's gonna push him into the door isn't it yeah and then just sort of at last minute swerves to the right and pushes him out the off the roof and you
1: just wanted that to happen didn't you oh you did didn't you you really <laughs> wanted it
0: to happen to that guy i mean i mean all credit to billy drago he made a really nasty character you just wanted to see really punished and you get it and then not only do you get to see him crash into the car but then you also it cuts back to the aftermath when they ask where he is and he's <laughs> kevin costner's like he's in the car yeah yeah you think oh that's, that's a oh wait a minute and then they cut back to his his body in the car just just to show he's dead yeah <laughs> it's all right everybody He's dead. He's gone. He's not coming back. Yeah, no, absolutely.
1: I mean, again, another wonderful sequence. And um, and, and it, it, you know, it, that thing you were saying about he he allows. And again, he does here. He allows he allows time to breathe. He allows these things to happen. I mean, you've got before that even happens, you've got the whole bit where. Billy Drago's trying to get down the building on the rope and oh, Costner's yeah. got him in his sights and you've got that and wonderful he should shoot him. shot.
0: Yeah.
1: Yeah. And it's just yeah. amazing.
0: he could he could shoot him and he decides not to. He decides, you know, to to do the proper way. Bring him in, you know. Yeah. But of course then, you know, Billy Drago's character just
1: it screws it. it up yeah no absolutely yeah, if
0: he had kept his mouth shut he'd be still alive but thankfully he didn't and, and off he went and
1: again the other thing that um that uh, again probably sort of lifted from hitchcock amongst others but the other thing that um De Palme is really good at using are the close-up insert shots just like in blowout he did it with the bolex and the nagra and whatever he does it with the the gun while it's while he's pointing and he takes the safety off and you know all of those sort of things really
0: work we are missing the the most important close-up in this whole film (laughs) the box of matches oh absolutely yeah yeah with the with the uh, with the address he interrupts that one shot with when they break into sean connery's um apartment yeah with a close-up of the matchbox with the address on it, because they again when Kevin Costner's character wants a cigarette and he just you know, B. Drago's emptied his pockets out and he he, uses, he finds his matchbox and he just picks it up to have a light and then suddenly he goes, "I had a friend at this address." Yeah.
1: Oh, you had the beautiful foreshadowing and then the payoff and it really works yeah. nicely. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. And it's and, you know and it's not winky obvious. It, it just works within the story beautifully so yeah no i i um i I agree absolutely fantastic
0: i would say if you've not seen the untouchables um it's well worth checking out and it's you know it still stands up to this day so yeah even though we've
1: told you everything that happens it's still worth a watch
0: (laughs) indeed indeed it is a lot of fun it's it's a lot of fun and uh it's well worth a watch
1: yeah no i agree i think it's amazing um you, you know uh, 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 one well it would have been the one that naturally i would have probably chosen as my movie heaven but i'm so glad you did so that i can wax lyrical about it as well fabulous there
0: you go. <laughs> right keith let's uh move on to your movie hell what's your pick
1: oh god right okay well um you know that as i said there are some of his later films that i haven't seen and um you know I was a bit worried because I I like most of his films I was a bit worried about what to choose and it's funny I I chose one and I went back to watch it to absolutely make sure that, that this was the case <laughs> and uh, you know I'm I'm sorry to say it's to me this is almost unrecognizable as a de palma film in many ways and that is um 2000 sorry 2000s mission to mars okay yes. um which uh, was written actually but again why doesn't this work oh first of all i'm going to point out that i haven't got anything against mars movies (laughs) because obviously the john carpenter one i chose ghosts of mars and now i'm choosing missions to mars and it's got nothing to do with mars i'm sure it's a great planet you know (laughs) no but uh,
0: it seems that mars movies has something against us well
1: i mean this one um Obviously, I think around the same time um, there was the other film, Red Planet, with Val Kilmer out, which, which again, to my knowledge or my memory, wasn't particularly good. But um, I went back and and, and revisited this one because I sort of thought, well, this should work because obviously it's De Palma, um, it's science fiction, so it's slightly moving away from his his usual genres, but you know. Uh, written by Jim and John Thomas, who are responsible, you know, for Predator and whatever, um, and Graham Yost, you know, so it's got good people involved and, and a wonderful cast. you got, you know, Gary Sinise, who he later goes on to work with in, in Snake Eyes. Uh, well, no, Snake
0: Eyes, Snake Eyes was
1: before this. Oh, it was before this. this. No, of course, absolutely. Yeah. So it's, he's got okay, all right, Gary Sinise, who he'd worked with on Snake Eyes, my bad. Um, but you've also got Tim Robbins, Don Cheadle, Connie Nielsen, uh, Kim Delaney you know this this has got a very good cast of of of
0: actors Well oh, don't forget Jerry O'Connell
1: oh Jerry O'Connell absolutely you know you know <laughs> and it's it's one of those films uh you know this this was the time where visual effects wise um John Knoll um you know was was the visual effects supervisor who obviously worked on some of the you know from from Star Wars right the way through to you know all, all of those films um it's got uh you know it uses a a number of different techniques and whatever and you know you know even the plot i mean this this is this is supposed to take place in 2020 so it's only five years now
0: i know they got they gotta hurry up i mean all this technology they have in it we're nowhere near it
1: exactly all all this trip to mars but essentially um there's a mission to mars that don cheadle goes on and they lose contact with with him and uh and his team and uh you you know a team consisting of um uh Tim Robbins character and Connie Nielsen who are a couple uh and joined by Gary Sinise's character go to sort of find out what's happened and rescue uh it's like on a rescue mission Um, obviously this, you know, back then they didn't have the technology for the, for the spacewalk scenes that you'd have in something like gravity, you know, or interstellar or anything like that. But here's the thing I'm trying to sort of sum it up as to why I didn't think it worked. And the reason being is, and there's no pun intended when I say this, but it absolutely lacked atmosphere, literally. Okay. What I don't understand is there is a scene in it where, you know, of course everything goes wrong and, and the whole the hull of the uh the space vehicle they're in is breached and you know that that the helmet is cracked and, and and they have to get um you know another helmet and they they have to sort of locate they end up locating using dr pepper i don't know if there was some sort of marketing uh, publicity uh, product placement thing going on but but what i don't understand is brian de palma who we have pointed out is the absolute master of 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 suspense and build up and keeping you on the edge of your seat and all of this sort of thing um, and he'd done it beautifully in loads of his films. And, and you know, the one that totally springs to mind that was just before this was, um, or not long before this was in Mission Impossible, the wonderful vault scene at the CIA, where yeah. he's got to go in and, you know, hack the computer without touching the floor and without changing the temperature. And there's, there's a rat coming up the, uh, the ventilation system and you know there's the knife falls and all this stuff happens and it's beautiful so you've got a similar scene in this where there's a hole breach i mean that's a pretty big problem yeah but the, there's no tension there's no there's no i can't i can't describe it it really does lack atmosphere um quite literally it it,
0: it doesn't work the other problem as well is that the characters in it make such stupid mistakes i mean they they, they seem to be the crew from Prometheus before Prometheus. <laughs> so
1: <laughs> I love that reference. Yeah, no, absolutely. I mean, you know,
0: Gary Sinise's character in you know, um, they say to him, put on your spare helmet. He goes, there isn't enough time. And then of course nearly suffocates. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's just, it, <laughs> essentially this is the other weird thing, right? You've got these,
1: and I mean, not, you know, none of these actors are, are poor. You know, you've got a really good cast of, of great actors in this right however um whereas what we were just talking about with the untouchables you know you really ended up caring about these characters so that when you know when they started dying um and stuff you you know you really felt for them and you really were bothered by that in this um you know i'll be honest i wasn't really fussed at all Uh, (laughs) you 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 know I, i didn't there was no jeopardy i didn't feel that they were in in trouble I didn't really care that they were in trouble um and it's really weird because again you know Morricone does the music you've got John Knoll doing the effects you've got you know all what I don't get is all of the elements were in place but it's almost like the cake didn't rise the ingredients were all there but the cake just didn't rise it just does not work and you end up kind of not caring really
0: from i remember when this came out because i was working at a cinema at the time and i remember the trailer for it and it was trying to make it look like 2001
1: right okay yeah
0: it it was kind of going for that look i mean they actually had like a a rotating ring just like uh in you know uh, the this the jupiter mission yeah and you know again it's it's a trick that's used to very little effect I mean, just you it it just you just see one cat walking along past Garrett Sinise's character sitting there and then you hear music. And of course, uh, Tim Robbins and Connie Nelson are dancing in Zero Gravity. And it's just like it's cutesy and it's yeah. Yeah. But I mean, also the fact worst beginning to a sci fi film ever,
1: a barbecue,
0: (laughs) a barbecue. I mean, this is not how you get people excited in your film. Yeah. Yes, this is a way you get to introduce people, but there must have been a much better way to do this. I mean, at the end of the day, I mean, Gary Sinise's character, you you know, he has an interesting backstory where his wife Yeah, died his wife and he, died and And he, he he came out of the the programme to look after his wife and when she died, you know, that was it. He just it kind of ruined him and they, they didn't want him back in because he wouldn't take psych tests and you know he and they just they felt they couldn't trust him yeah yeah no, i mean but... this is actually what the 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 european controller is saying you know the guy in charge of all this said i could not trust him and okay you know wow you're really insensitive mate yeah, <laughs> yeah. Know, the guy's lost his wife to cancer um so you know you could have you could have started with maybe with that instead of you know hitting it's sort of more, you know, you 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 hear about it during this barbecue, and you meet him, you know, Gary Sinise turns up near the end, and you know, say goodbye to his friend Don. Yeah,
1: there's quite a lot of exposition, actually. It is
0: a hell of exposition and character, you know, but it's it's just really done boring. It's really boring.
1: Yeah, no, I I agree. It's bo- It is a boring film, and 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 it's weird because the the end when they kind of you know basically there's this um there's this like face-like structure on the surface of Mars. Yeah. And, um, uh, you know, you know, they they, they go and and they end up getting inside this, um, this what essentially ends up being just a big white room and, you know, it's a ship and, 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 you know, there's, 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 you know, aliens that, um, that, that, you you know, they're saying that that with the seed, if you like, the, 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 the seed that, that made every all the life on earth happen and, and, and all this sort of thing
0: and 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 the thing was as well because um so it's like the 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 face is um holding the last ship that's right that they left behind and um but of course the the face had a hell of a defense system where it literally if if you didn't pass the test um, it would actually swallow up and spin you to death. I mean, yeah. There's a bit where you see one of the astronauts get ripped to pieces because he's been ro- he's been rotated so fast.
1: Yeah, he's in a vortex. His, his limbs all
0: fly off. <laughs> it left Don Cheadle alone because it could under it could understand that he knew this. There was something going on. Yeah, you know, uh, you know, the the force came out. They said the force came out of the mountain and, and took the others, yet left me alone because I knew something. And that's like, wow, that's a hell of a fucking reach. I mean, that's that's not friendly aliens, because when you see the alien, wow, it's cutesy, isn't it? Well, yeah, <laughs> it's, it's a lovely, it's, lovely alien. It's
1: it's sort of early CGI stuff. But, yeah, I mean, all of that, you know, that actual sequence itself is not that bad, but it just doesn't – I don't know. It just doesn't t- – you know, it's one of those things. And, and I always, you know, when I watch these things, I try and see the good in them, but the, the, this really doesn't work and it didn't feel like a DeBahama film at all. And interestingly enough, I couldn't find any, you know, like we said at the, at the beginning, he's, you know, unashamedly, you know, into sort of promoting his films and doing interviews for them and things of that nature. Well, I couldn't find anything on this because, um you, you know, just, there just doesn't seem to be any material out, out there it's it's uh it's really weird it's almost as if if they knew it was a dud or whatever but um but you know there's probably it should work because you know there's like problem after problem and um you, you, you know all of this sort of thing but overall it just you know you don't you really don't care you don't feel any tension you don't really care for the characters and uh I have to say yeah it's out of the out of the um to Palmer cannon that, that i'm aware of and that i enjoy this this one for me really is the is, is the dud in the pile um
0: well i mean my problems with it is the fact that um you have that middle section where you you have the micro meteors where you know there's a breach in the hole and then it immediately goes to them going into uh orbital insertion because one that um Tim Robbins is outside and he's like, we should check the hole, make sure everything's all right. And then one of the characters goes, oh, no, negative on that, because we're going to go in, in orbital insertion now. And, of course, then you see the shot of all the hole. It's all been sort of dented and hot. And then you see the engine and they start putting fuel into it. And you just see the fuel freeze and you go, oh, you fucking idiots. And so when they hit the, the, go, the go button, boom. And we all know it's going to happen because we see this thing floating in front of the engines. So, again, no tension no. because we know these idiots are going to hit the go button and <laughs> explode the ship. Yeah, And then it goes straight into them being outside the ship and uh, trying to hook up with a satellite. And this is where Tim Robbins, he, he
1: overshoots and
0: he's overshoots and he's heading towards the planet and he does the whole thing with his wife's trying to get him back and she just...
1: Yeah, he does the whole G- G- what George Clooney ends up doing in, in Gravity <laughs> Years Later, yeah. you know, it's, it's that sort of thing. Yeah, but...
0: but we actually see what happens. He takes his helmet off and he suddenly becomes like instantly frozen, yeah. doesn't he? Yeah, I mean, that you know, uh... but even
1: that, you know, even that, which should be absolutely heartbreaking... You just it? kind of—I don't know—it really just felt flat. It's—it's it's really weird. Um, you, you know, um, I do find it quite bizarre. You know, as somebody that you kind of understands, you know, filmmaking and, and and production and things of that nature, how sometimes uh, the mixture just isn't right and it just doesn't work. And this is this sadly is one of those films. There's a lot of good things going on in it but it just doesn't gel together and and it and it it doesn't certainly it doesn't feel like it's done by as i quoted him earlier being the prince of suspense or whatever (laughs) there there is no suspense i mean it's literally in space there's no atmosphere you know it's it's
0: i think there is only one thing in the film that would have would have made it better for me and that's at the end when uh they're in this escape capsule going back to earth and the martian ship You see it going flying by and it goes, it's very close. I would have loved it to hit the spaceship, the (laughs) Earth ship, destroying both of them. And you go, yeah, that's how I feel about the film. Of course, this this is how
1: they deal with, you know, Gary Sinise's problem is he ends up deciding to be the one that goes with them you know to the next dimension yeah. the next journey he's the one the he's sacrifice. the chosen one yeah yeah yeah, yeah. Uh, but yeah, yeah but it, it, you know you really good an actor as Gary Sinise is I, I was really you know not feeling it at all you know it's,
0: no, it, no same
1: with Tim Robbins same same with all of them I was just like there eh, whatever so yeah.
0: I mean I enjoyed Don Cheadle in it I thought he was good in it but again his character goes from being really nice father to uh, when they find him on the planet he sort of they're playing it as if he's you know lost his mind a bit but then you know he's going to be all right and then he has a shave and a haircut and he's he's back to normal Yeah, yeah. yeah <laughs> forget he like was that. out there on his own for a year yeah. forget
1: that no i know it's weird it's really weird um it, yeah it doesn't work it really doesn't so i was i was pleased when i re-watched it that my memory of it was correct and um you know it it, i didn't have to go and find something else to be movie hell because you you know that 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 was um
0: for me so
1: yeah so there you go
0: (laughs) oh well so uh on to my pick and uh my pick might be a bit controversial because there are a lot of people out there who like it but uh unfortunately i don't and that's casualties of war yeah
1: well I, i have to say um you know, you and you and I don't know what this will be interesting, what will make this show interesting for listeners, if, if indeed we have any. Um, but, uh, you, you know, I know you and I agree on a lot of things. You know, we, we find that out through through the podcast and indeed the films we've talked about so far tonight. However, I have to say, in this case, I absolutely do not agree i think this is a wonderful film so so i'll let you do your bit and then i'll uh, i'll put up my case
0: <laughs> okay well um the, the film has been a, a passion project for brian De palmer he was trying to make it for uh, about 10 years and of course the success of the untouchables was what was able to finally get a green light on the project absolutely
1: and, and the fact that um you, you know obviously stone and and kubrick had had success with platoon and uh, full metal jacket as well sort of brought the vietnam war thing to to the mainstream slightly you know so yeah
0: well th- that's one of my problems with the film is that brian De palmer is um homaging those directors straight away uh, there's nods to Apocalypse Now. Oh, there is yeah. definitely a massive nod to um, Full Metal Jacket, and of course uh, Platoon as well. Um, right. Well, the, the thing about the film is it's it's shot as a thriller. It, it's the the sequence. There's there's thriller sequence in it when really it should have been a drama about a, a very horrible thing that happened in in the Vietnam War. Now, at the beginning, um, the you get to meet the troops who are going to be in this, and you uh, straight away you have this thriller sequence where uh, they're out on patrol, and uh, Charlie is getting closer, and Michael J. Fox's character falls into a foxhole.
1: Yeah, one of the Vietcon tunnels. Yeah,
0: yeah, and he's stuck there, and of course, you know none of the Vietnamese actually take any notice of his feet dangling there for quite a while until they get hit and then you see one of them come out the dirt and suddenly goes i'm gonna stab him (laughs) you know so you see him crawling along this tunnel about to stab him and of course michael j fox is screaming for help and of course sean penn's character comes along and finally pulls him out just before the vietnamese guy can stick a knife up his ass but the tension works doesn't it, it doesn't work it doesn't i know why the tension doesn't work at all because the opening scene is of michael j fox safely sitting in the train
1: oh yeah they do bookend it with flat yeah the, the vietnam yeah. sequence is a flashback essentially yeah yeah
0: yeah and so at the end of the day there is no tension because you know at the end of it michael j fox is going to come out of this all right you know he might be now this is the thing i think casting wise michael j they uh, i think they got the casting mark. right well I, I, I don't i don't believe michael j i mean michael j fox is, has been very good at playing those kind of characters sort of you know wide-eyed innocent but then it just reminds you of the the character that uh, charlie sheen played in platoon and who played it a lot much better yeah and of course in the film Michael J. Fox goes from wide-eyed innocent to jaded in like at ninety miles per hour. I mean, it's literally, a, you know, it, it goes so quick. While with Charlie Sheen's character, you see a progression.
1: Yeah, I mean, Michael. Yeah, I mean, you know, in terms of in terms of when this had happened, I mean, Michael Michael J. Fox was kind of man of the moment, having just come off the back of the Back to the Future sequels. So you know, he he was he was very much sort of. Um, you know, hot property at the time, uh, you know, 1989. Um, and, you know, from his point of view, his career had been, you know, what with family ties and, and, and back to the future, you know, it'd been very much comedies and he, he wanted to, you know, have a go at serious acting and, 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 and try something very different in his career at, at, at that point. Um,
0: yeah i'm not saying he's 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 not bad in the role i'm just saying it's just it just you, you the, the the problem with the film is is that you you, pe- you peg every character straight away the, there's there's no subtlety about any character you in and straight away that the rest of the troop are, are a bunch of really unlikable people i would think it would have been more interesting if if sean penn and michael j fox swapped roles no oh, interesting Okay. I think it would have been far more interesting because you, you know that Michael J. Fox's character is going to be the start, the guy who's not going to be involved in it. He is going to make the stand. He's going to make the right decision. He's going to be the guy who's going to be pushed around, but yet still, he's he's going to stand... You know, he's he's still going to be a good guy, while all the other guys, you know, they're going to go ahead and do this stuff. Now, if you haven't seen the film, it's, it's about... Uh, a wartime atrocity that happens where they they go into a village and grab this girl and take them on patrol with her because they wanted you know because they've been denied to going into town to have sex with local prostitutes so they they want some fun
1: yeah it's actually based on a real it is based on a, i mean it's again it's dry it's heavily dramatized of course but it is it is based on on um on a real case and some real events and uh you Know, I kind of look at it as a it's sort of a contained morality tale, but it's it's kind of a on the backdrop of the Vietnam War, so it, it, it's 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 you know, um, and it does feel like that, it feels like a sort of this is a story that took place whilst the war was going on, but is not necessarily about the you know, the. Not not overtly anyway about the sort of politics and and, and and what was going on in the Vietnam War. Uh it's subtly there, but you know, the, the story's really about these these guys, you know?
0: Well, yes and no. I mean this I think it probably would have worked better if it had been more contained than trying to be these sort of big action sequences. Because there's there's the bit where so they they reach wherever they're going because this is i mean it's long it's drawn out this whole sequence of of them getting to you know uh, uh hooch they call it and you know they they this poor girl you know she's so tra- traumatized and they've made her have to drag all their equipment barefoot across this sort of rugged terrain and she's all cut up and her feet are all cut up and bleeding and you know she's in a horrible state and you know then they could sort of have their their jollies with her and you know and it's it's this whole sort of so it's it's shot from a distance because they send michael j fox's character to go you know uh on patrol or you know just to to get him out there because we won't have anything to do
1: with it absolutely it's kind of
0: so but you see this sort of wide shot where you see them come out and you know you you have that character who he keeps going on about how he wants a beer well you know
1: that's that was john c riley's first ever role that was john C. riley playing the guy who's very uncomfortable so keeps saying hey sarge you know i wish we had a beer don't you wish we had a beer because obviously you know it's total peer pressure for him
0: i'm so glad they told him to shut up because i wanted (laughs) him to shut up as well but yeah i read that he was um He was an extra and uh somebody dropped that's right and it
1: gave him his break yeah
0: yeah but he no again he was set up as this sort of um very much sort of naive idiot character you know and it's i just it's that so the the whole sort of rape scene you know it's shot from a distance and you see the guys sort of taking their turns and it's and and then it turns out that it's Michael J. Fox's point of view that he's been watching this while he's, you know, been standing guard, mm-hmm. and of course Sean Penn comes up to him and, you know, starts trying to, you know, justify what he's done. You know that line, you know, I, I walk in the valley of darkness and I fear no evil because I'm the meanest motherfucker in the whole valley. Mm-hmm. Like, okay, yeah. They they find some Viet Cong the along the river sort of delivering arms and uh, they decide to take the the ship out and of course um this is michael j fox's chance to run away with the girl and he does it and he's he's about to do it and he's you know he's he's been able to convince her to to trust him and get going and he stops he doesn't want to be a dessert and i'm like you've ah," you know and then of course one of the guys turns up and you know they have they all go back to the to their position by the river and that's when they kill the girl because um this army uh boat turns up very much like apocalypse now and um they're trying to shut her up because she's ill she's coughing she's got the f- you know she's got the flu she's not in great pos- you know and they're trying to shut her sean up. sean penn's
1: because... trying to get all the other ones to 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 basically kill her for him sort of thing yeah, yeah. um and, you know, they're all sort of bowing to peer pressure. I mean, you've got John uh, Leguizamo, um, uh, you, you know, he's, he's one of them. And uh, the other guy is Don Patrick Harvey, I think, who, who um, you know, uh, De Palma's used in some other films as well.
0: Um, yeah, I've seen him in other stuff. He, he usually plays the, you know, the, the, the bad guy.
1: Yeah. I mean, I'll, I'll agree with you on so much as, um, you know, these guys are set up as pretty unlikable from the get go. I mean, you you know, Sean Penn, um, at the time, I mean, yeah, I remember when I first saw this and all I really knew of Sean Penn was that he was sort of Madonna's husband, you know, (laughs) didn't really, (laughs) and he sort of plays this, you know, thuggy, thuggy character in this. And of course, you know, goes on to work with De Palma again on, um, Carlito's way and whatever and yeah and and, And that was a much
0: better yeah Um, Yeah. you
1: you know so I I sort of hear what you're saying in the fact that you know this makes no bones about sort of who the good guy is and the other guys are are, are pretty unlikable and there is no real sort of gray area it is very black and white in, in that respect um and you know it is it's very horrible what they do to this um Vietnamese girl um and you, you know the, the 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 treating of her is 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 very uh you know it is hard to watch um and even though you've got these kind of voyeuristic elements like you said the sort of pov of um uh um michael j fox's character uh it, it's done very differently to to how De palm done this previously you know
0: i think the problem is is that um it's very much a very stylistic film and that you can see De Palmer's style over it where a story like this didn't it didn't need that. It didn't need that gloss, it didn't need the entertainment value. It it needed just that story to be told truthfully. And I think the problem was that De Palmer was the wrong guy to tell that story. The De Palmer of that time, if he had made that ten years ago, I think it would have been a lot more down to earth and dramatic than being stylish and entertaining. Yeah. yeah. I
1: mean, he wanted, I know um, from 1969 or 70 or whenever, when the article about this came out, he wanted to make it. And it was kind of a passion project of his in many respects. And of course, as you rightly said, because of the success of The Untouchables, um, you know, it suddenly put him in a position where he was able to uh, to, to, to make, you know, these choices and and uh, and tell this story that he wanted to tell. Um, but yeah, you know, it does, it does have, unlike Mission to Mars, you know, which doesn't really feel like it has any De Palma-esque, um, stamps over it. You know, this, even though it is this sort of small morality tale against the backdrop of Vietnam, it does, you know, have a lot of his, um, uh, y- y- you know, stylistic stamps on it. I mean, there is split diopter, there is cam. um you know etc pov etc etc so um uh yeah um interesting and
0: also also the, the score by enio morricone just doesn't work either i think it's just too much <laughs> it, 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 the, the, yeah. the score is just too much for it i mean it you know where it worked in The *Untouchables* and this just really didn't work. It was just too overpowering.
1: It it might be slightly guiding, you, you know, manipulative if you like. Um, uh, but you, you know, I, I said I remembered the film and I, I quite, I say enjoyed it. That's that's, a, that's that's kind of a hard term to use because it is it is a hard watch in many respects. Um, because it's it's quite brutal and, and quite nasty. Um. Although obviously there is a, you know these guys do get their comeuppance at the end. Um, you, you yeah, yeah.
0: Well, I have to say, I, I that bit was so. Michael J. Fox, they come back, and Michael J. Fox goes to his. Um, I don't think it's his lieutenant, is it? I think it's his... Well,
1: there's... Ving Rhames is in it. Ving, Ving Rhames who... So... Yeah,
0: but no, no, no. He goes to his friend who he originally was joking about, oh, you know, they're going to go to town and get themselves a girl just to have a bit of a lay on when they're out in the field, you know. And then he he goes straight to him, doesn't he? He goes, they did it, man. They did it. I can't fucking believe it. Oh, of course, you know what happens because he gets injured, doesn't he? Yes. There's this, the there's this, there's this shot where... Um, they, they fly him off in a medical hospital uh, helicopter. Straight
1: out of Apocalypse Now, yeah, <laughs> because he looks at the fan and stuff.
0: <laughs> yeah, well, when he wakes up, what's the first thing? Yeah, he sees the fan, and of yes. course, there's lots of people screaming, and you know there's injured soldiers there. And of course, he gets up with a bandage around his head, and he just he walks out, and of course, he finds his friend, and he's telling them right in the open, and of course, guess who's there? It's one of the other guys from his um, unit, and he's trying to in, in, interfere and of course, his his friend who says, you've got to go to the lieutenant. You can't go over him. You can't go straight to the captain. You've got to go to the lieutenant. And of course, he goes to Ving Rhames. And of course, Ving Rhames does this whole speech about, you know, what happened to a guy in his town and, you know, the fact that I um, don't oh know what happened to him when his baby was being born and they wouldn't let him into the hospital. So he got really angry and pissed off and he, he started making a scene there. And of course, he got arrested and they kept him in the jailhouse for overnight and of course he wanted to kill people he wanted to kill people and of course you know he just he said well they just let me get it out of my system and then i was i was fine i was over it and i think that's what you need to do and he splits the unit up doesn't it because michael j fox can't let it go no and of course he goes straight to the captain and of course the captain goes well you know these things happen and you know do you really want to go through this because they they won't do that much time and you know if i was them i want some payback you know this and again you're getting this kind of thriller element as well coming into it yeah i mean you've got a bit thriller the captain playing by dale die yeah he's a real captain yeah yeah he's you know since platoon he's always appeared in uh in war films and also he's been the consultant on that especially all the um vietnam once, and of course you know it. the words coming out of his mouth is, is straight out of a thriller i mean i don't you know there's again there's just no humanity to it there's it, it's just you know it's stuff you would see in a you know it gr- makes for great lines in uh in in the trailer i mean the fact that they use his part of his speech again at near the end when the the all the guys are being, you know, you know, they've been sentenced, and you see them walk by, and Sean Penn whispers something to Michael J. Fox character, and he calls, and then you hear his the voiceover go, "If I was these guys, they're not going to do some real time, and I would want some payback, you know." Yeah. And it's, oh no, no, no! I know what you I mean. mean. I the mean the whole, the whole sequence, the whole sequence where Michael J. Fox goes to the the, the bathroom, and one of them puts a grenade in there. Pure thriller again, and yeah. you know, and of course, he he confronts them after smacking one of them round the head with a, a spade, and says, "You know, I told everybody, and you know what? They don't care." And again, it's just it's just all it's very it, it's just yeah. so it does the tone is just so wrong for the story,
1: right? No, I mean, I I know what you mean. It kind of goes from a thriller to a courtroom drama to you know this that and the other, but um. Mm. I mean, it's written by a guy called David Rabe, who's actually a um, a playwright. And I must admit, one of the things I do feel about it is it did have the feel of a stage play uh, to it in some respects. You know, rather than a movie, Um, you know, in some aspects it has that sort of um, stage play feel. Um, But uh, you you know, I, I, I I I hear what you're saying. I can certainly see your point of view on some of this, but you know, I thought that the, uh, the, the film, you know, worked and, 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 you know, the performances were, were good. And, uh, you know, and it, and, you know, it did have some of the De Palma feel to it. Definitely. Um, one, one thing I thought was interesting about the whisper, the Sean Penn thing at the end is, is, as you know, I'm a big, um, I'm a big fan of, of, of 24. And, um, in, I can't I remember can't remember whether it's season two or three but spoiler for anyone that may not have seen 24 but in the first season essentially Nina Myers played by Sarah Clark um, who's supposed to be Jack Bauer you know Kiefer Sutherland's colleague uh, in it uh, turns out to be sort of a traitor at the end and ends up killing his wife and, and, and this sort of thing and eventually you know throughout the second and third season she's kind of like um, you know one of his nemesis there and and he, she eventually gets caught. And there's a scene when uh, she he, she's she's captured and um, Jack Bauer goes over and whispers something to her and you never actually hear what he says, right? And I, I often wonder whether um, John Cassar, who or whoever directed that particular episode of 24, was a was it maybe a fan of um, uh, Casualties of War and kind of you, you know uh, took that from that. It does make me wonder.
0: <laughs> Casualties of War is not the only film that used that. Oh, um, I know, I that know. Silent Whisper. I mean, it was used in, um, oh, that Scarlett Johansson, Bill Murray film, uh, Lost in Translation. Oh, Lost
1: in Translation, yeah. Mind you, that was years yeah. later, but yeah,
0: yeah. Okay. Yeah, but, yeah, but I mean, it, it's been used in other films. Yeah, of course, and...
1: yeah. Well, nothing's, nothing's 100% original, is it? But, uh, you, you know, um, but yeah, uh, interesting. Um, I mean, uh, you know, I, I thought it worked. I like Morricone's score. Um, you know, I think it was, yeah, it is slightly guiding definitely um but you know i i thought in terms of a a, a film you know beginning middle and end and uh, you know uh, journey um it worked i mean I, I didn't actually do that well um in the end because i think it came out something like the same the same time as uh, honey i shrunk the kids <laughs> and i think it was that kind of people thought to themselves do I want to go and see something that makes me laugh or do I want to go and see something that's going to, you know, break my heart or whatever. And um, probably, probably went for the former, but. <laughs>
0: um, uh, make you squirm more than make you uh, cry.
1: Well, there is a, um, I, I've not seen it. I didn't see, I didn't go this far with it, but um, as I said, I did revisit the theatrical version of the film, but there is apparently yeah. a, um, it came out sort of in the mid noughties, a, uh, a a DVD um, uh, extended edition um, which right. was overseen by um, uh, Brian De Palma, which uh, which kind of adds some of the deleted scenes uh, in back into the film. And I don't know. I'll be honest. I, I haven't. You know, for this one, I did actually watch all the four films that we're talking about. I actually did my homework and revisited them. But I, I have to admit, I haven't gone to the extent of of um, uh, of checking out the extended edition to see to see what that what that changes. Well, but...
0: my personal opinion it probably wouldn't make it any better
1: <laughs> fair enough we, we we we've got that one Simon <laughs> <laughs> so, but hey that's what keeps this stuff interesting isn't it
0: it does indeed
1: we're not going to agree on everything and and but you know I absolutely respect some of those points that you've made and and I will uh, I totally concur with the fact that um you, you, you know there, there's no misguidance in this you absolutely know which characters are not very nice and who the good guy is. And there's no trying to even like sort of shade any of that differently. It is very blatant on on the nose, Um, you you know, with with regards to the the setup for the whole thing. And of course, yes, it is told as a flashback. So absolutely. We know that at the end of the day that John um, Michael J Fox's character is going to be, uh, you, you know, he's going to survive it, even though he's obviously still having nightmares about it. Because of the uh the,
0: the, the experience of the whole thing yeah i mean i, I don't mind the the end when because one of the things about being on the train and the flashback is because he sees a girl who uh looks like the vietnam vietnamese girl and of course it is yes it is it's, her playing the it's, same character
1: it's played by her with a with a with a nose piece and, and voiced by amy irving As <laughs> a bit
0: of a bit of trivia. so i i didn't mind that last bit when she you know she says to him you you look like you've had a nightmare and he goes yes i have and she says well i think it's all over now and things will get better and you go yeah okay yeah that's this is no it's a nice way sort of the end of the film but as i say we we could have done without the the bookend at beginning where you see him on the train if if it started just from vietnam it would have made it the tension play out a bit more than yeah no i see your point knowing that he was going to survive this you know because that's the thing about war films you don't know who's going to survive and who's going to make it back and some of the best ones have killed off the guy you were rooting for so you know but it's yeah i again it was um, a very serious subject matter that you know it, it needed a more deft hand at somebody who was a lot more subtle than Brian De Palma was back in the day and it didn't need those thriller elements, it just needed to be told as it was and without all these whistles and bells and you know, all these different techniques so um, yeah I'm sure it's a story that will be told again that um, somebody else will tackle and hopefully they'll do a better job of it than Brian De Palma did
1: Yeah, it's time for the remake (laughs) So there you go maybe there'll be a vietnam war films will become popular again or something because <laughs> these things go in cycles don't
0: they as we as we all know so um they do indeed so that wraps up another episode of uh, movie heaven movie hell it does
1: oh there's there's so much there's so much more to talk about with him but absolutely we've, we've covered those films so uh, so yes uh <laughs> any other stuff will be for another time
0: we highly recommend you go out and check his other uh, check out his other films indeed so um yes so um just to wrap things up um you can contact me uh uh via the independent runnings website which is independentrunnings.com. and also we have a facebook page uh if you just type in uh, movie heaven movie hell you will find us that way and uh and also, yes, we have a, a YouTube page. Uh, you can find these episodes on YouTube uh, just if you search for independent runnings. And uh, if you watch it on YouTube, it will help us with um, uh, we get advertising from that. So, uh, you know, if you watch it that way, we get some pennies as well. All oh, right. Uh, yeah. And uh, how can we reach you, Keith?
1: Yeah, uh, well, by the time this this is available, um, uh, my uh, YouTube page should be up and running, which will be British Isles Productions. And Isles is spelled E-Y-L-E-S, as in my surname. Um, What I'm going to do is I'm going to put my um, uh, catalogue of short films that I've made so far on there for you to watch, share, like dislike comment on get in touch whatever you want to do but it will be there so that's british isles productions and as i said isles is e-y-l-e-s which
0: is a um I how my surname is spelled so uh catch us next time on uh movie heaven movie hell see you at
1: the movies